to another episode of the Bridging Impact Podcast, the podcast that passes wisdom to the next generation of coaches and youth sports parents. In this episode, I interview Nathan Huffstutter. Nathan is a managing editor at Simply Faster. He's a coach for Flex Soccer in Del Mar County, San Diego, and he also is the manager of High Tide Softball. So, in our conversation today, we discuss the nuances of how to meet our athletes where they're at, the why behind coaching athletes, and how to design programs that work for all different levels of athletes. And without further ado, let's dive in. Hello, Nate, and welcome to the Bridging Impact Podcast. I'm thrilled to have you on today and have our conversation on the importance of obviously teaching leadership as coaches, but also the importance of multi-sport athletes and sharing your story of what you know it was like when you were a kid to now there's so much specialization. So before we dive into the multi-sport topic, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on, Justin. Happy to be here. Of course. So diving right in, the first question that we always ask all of our guests first is, what is your definition of impactful leadership? So my definition of impactful leadership is the ability to identify and define the problems at hand. And then from that, having the willingness to choose a course of action, the accountability to follow through on that and make sure that you are doing the things that you said you were going to do, and from there, motivating everybody involved to be part of the process towards your success. Yeah, I love that part at the end where you're like bringing people in as a part of the process instead of coach making the process and then putting people in places, right? It's it's more of a collective than you go here, you go here, you go here. So we, before we kind of dive into that, what is your story around you know coaching and, and athletics? So it, it really comes from that because the difference between leadership and authority is leadership is you're bringing everybody with you and authority is, well, maybe you're in the power, you have a position of power to make decisions, but you may not actually be a leader within that position of authority. So initially I got into coaching at a higher level by looking at a problem here in the Del Mar area of San Diego where we had athletes who were very good at soccer, but who also played softball, volleyball, basketball in the spring. And our recreational leagues were not quite equipped to handle athletes at that level. And the competitive teams in our area wanted everybody to specialize year round. So at the club that I work, I created a program called the Flex Program, where we supported multi-sport athletes in playing at a high competitive level through the fall and winter and then during the spring released them from their obligation to the team and allowed them to play their second sport during that time so that they could fulfill uh, the responsibilities to that other team that they had without feeling like they were missing something on both ends so it really began with starting with all right here's the problem that we need to solve all right, how do we bring everybody in to be involved in this? And here's the vision of it and how we're going to execute it. Yeah, I love that you brought them in again. But before we kind of dive into where you're at now, I'd love for you to share your story um, as an athlete, as a multi-sport athlete, and how that affects how you view the, the difference between specialization and playing multiple sports. So personally, uh, I grew up playing sports in the 1980s where 
there was no there was no choice. It, it was not possible to play one sport year round that wasn't offered. Um, right. But then what we did in that time frame was during the fall for ten or twelve weeks was soccer season. You played soccer. Then during the winter for ten or twelve weeks was basketball season. We played basketball indoors. I was growing up in Eugene, Oregon, so it was rainy and you needed to play an indoor sport during the winter. During the spring, you shifted over to baseball and you played baseball for 10 or 12 weeks. During the summer, you went to camps where you played all of these different sports. At various times, you had an ability to pick up another sport. So I also played flag football during the seasons when that was happening. And so with that background, I really enjoyed the fact that I was able to play multiple sports. Those sports did feed off of each other in certain ways in that by the time I was playing in high school, the ability to jump off of one leg and dunk a basketball helped me be able to head soccer balls into the goal. The ability to track back on a pass as a football player helped me track back on fly balls and baseball, and those things kind of feed off of each other. And then I also didn't have a Division One type of frame or body. So my sports career was going to end at the high school level. So I didn't need to be tracking in one sport for a scholarship. The best I was going to do most likely was to play on my varsity high school teams. Or if I'd chosen, I may have been able to play on a smaller uh, community college level, but that's not what I was interested in doing after high school. So I didn't pursue that. Right. And it's kind of acknowledging that, you know, I, I was in a similar way, like, excuse me, I worked, I worked really hard, but my body frame is just, it's, I'm not a division one athlete. Right. And so that's, that's just kind of accepting what it is and that we can be good, good varsity high school athletes and enjoy that experience and, you know, be able to play multiple sports. And like, you're talking about like, you know, being, being able to track fly balls and, and it helps when you're being a cornerback and you're, you know, you're covering a wide receiver and, you know, the dunk and the, you know, being able to do the header, like it, it all like connects to it. So my, my thoughts is what, what are your thoughts or, or what for the parents that like, cause I work with, I, I work with a lot of youth basketball and I see parents that just like, they have, they have tunnel vision. Their kids are six and seven, you know, mm -hmm. they're, they're very good at basketball at six and seven. And they're like, they're going to play basketball forever. Like right. what, what do you typically tell like different parents to try and like expand their mind around multi-sport and not just specialization? Well, there, first of all, there are a couple of, kind of common misconceptions about multi-sport and number one the the very best three sport athletes didn't get to be the very best three sports athletes by playing multiple sports they're usually in the top one or two percent genetically in the first place so they are physically dominant they have the psychological and mental peace in terms of their competition and in terms of the standards they hold themselves to they have high gain iqs and so then it's just the tactical piece of, or the technical piece of, can we train those players to play whatever it may be? And they could come out and be top level field hockey player, top level soccer player, top level volleyball player. It doesn't matter what they choose. They're going to be good in those sports. And it's not playing all the sports that makes those players good. So that's one thing that's important to know. And another thing that's important to recognize is that playing a second sport indifferently doesn't help you at one sport. So if you're a basketball player and you shoot 35% from the free throw line and you can only dribble with your dominant hand, going and playing lacrosse for three months isn't going to help with the limiting factors in your game. You have to be able to improve those things. 
That being said, the number one reason to have kids play multiple sports is they love it. Um, you know, there are kids who don't want to play any sports. That's fine. There are kids who only want to play the sport they love year round. That's fine too. Support that. But there are kids who want to play everything they can possibly play. And when an adult comes in and says, no, if you want to be on my team, you've got to quit these other things. That's where I see the issue. And, you know, adults shouldn't be in the process of telling kids what they can't play. They should be letting them do everything they possibly can and supporting that. Now, with some of the, the younger players that you're talking about who think, oh, basketball, basketball, basketball at six, seven years old. Yep. First, look in the mirror and see what your family tree looks like. Because again, my high school basketball team, we had three D1 players on it. They were 6'10", 6'7", 6'4 I was 6'1". So, you know, there, there's a, an end of the line that, you know, when you look at what elite athletes look like, they have different body types and they generally come from different family trees. And so you need to know where you stand on that. Another important thing for younger players is it's a really, really long haul. Can you do what you think you're doing for the next 12 years before you even get to college? Because if you're in the grind at seven, eight years old, after three, four years, that grind is going to run its course and they're going to want to do something different. And it's a shame if they choose to do something different before they've had a chance to peak in that sport that maybe they will be really good at but by 12 or 13 they've been like this has been my job for the last four years i'm going to pick up skateboarding i'm going to pick up the guitar i'm going to do something that gives me a little bit more freedom because being in a really intense sport one of the things that coaches do is they take away a lot of your freedom and put you into a system and once kids start pushing for their own freedoms then maybe you lose the ability to actually peak in that sport you may be very good at over time I like the idea and the notion of creating this awareness around it. Like there's no, not sports specialization is not technically bad. If, you know, let's say player in middle school, he, he or she, they love basketball or they love soccer and that's what they want to do all year round. So it's not, not a bad thing that they don't play baseball or softball. But for those that are probably like ourselves, you know, that wanted to play basketball and baseball. And then, you know, let's say my coach at, at the time, you know, he's like, oh, you, you can only do basketball. You can only do baseball. Right. Like that probably would have frustrated me. And, and I, again, like limits that that choice and that freedom. And I know that's the program that you're doing is multi-sport, but I'm curious how you create, honestly, just just freedom in general with you know your practice structure or how you coach. Sure. Um, and like. To your point, it really is important to note that there are kids who eat, sleep, and breathe a specific sport, and they should have a system that supports that. And if you eat, sleep, and breathe soccer, do it. And that's actually the route a lot of players take to the elite level is that. But again, you're talking about a minuscule percentage of the population. So within my system, what my teams do is it's important to create kind of a notion of seasons that reminds me of what seasons used to look like back when I was playing youth sports in the eighties. And you knew, all right, this is this season, this is this season, and this is this season. So I have a multi-sport soccer team and a multi-sport softball team. And all of the players do different things. And at different times of the year, we are in season and this is what you are doing. So in the fall, we are in season for soccer. Right now we practice two days a week. We play a competitive soccer game 
usually both Saturday and Sunday, sometimes just one day out of the week. That competitive season runs through Thanksgiving. Then we have a postseason where we play postseason tournaments and enter those tournaments. And again, the primary obligation is to be available for the soccer team during that time. At that same time, there are players who play volleyball, basketball, and softball. And for those sports, they may go to one practice a week. Maybe they play a less competitive game during the week around our soccer games. And then as we go into the spring for the soccer team, I designate that. Now this is our off season. We come out mm-hmm. and we have a kick around on Mondays. We'll take a month off. Maybe we enter a tournament a couple flights below what we would normally be if everybody's available, but the competitive stress is lower because you can only be game ready in one sport at a given time. And while we go into the off season with my soccer team, we are going into the in season with my softball team where they are then. Now you're competitive ready on the softball season and the expectation is you will be at everything that is required for the softball team and you can have that second sport that you pursue, but you know, you have to have, you have to be all in on one thing at one time. And as long as everybody has the freedom to be all in on one of their sports during its primary season, everybody is able to feel like, yes, I'm getting everything I can out of this one sport and still supporting it with a second or even a third sport. Right. I like this notion of, of seasons. And I've been thinking about that the same way because I, I recognize that like AAU, at least specifically AAU basketball, and it's probably similar for soccer. And I know it is now for baseball as well. They don't stop. There is no off season. And so like what, what, I mean, I kind of know what some of the benefits are, but can you explain some of the benefits of what an off season are? Sure. I mean, first of all, with those never ending seasons that exist in specialized youth sports, some of the kids don't understand when it's important to really focus in the first place because mm-hmm. from January 1st to December 31st, they're in tournaments, they're in games. So when does it really matter? And with this notion of seasons, you can dictate, hey, this is the postseason tournament that we are playing towards. We're advancing through our league season. We want to be playing the very best in this postseason. And then mm-hmm. we can taper off and go down because that's the way athletic development is. It goes in up and down in waves. And you may want to just be going linear, yes, 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 playing all year. But the reality is you're going to have your drop off whether you like it or not. So you might as well write it into your model because it's going to happen in one way or another. So having that ability to have kind of designated seasons lets the players know, all right, this is when we're really dialed in. This is when I expect your absolute highest commitment and highest focus. And then as they shift from one interest to another, it helps their motivation because, oh, hey, now I get to do something different. And for those who don't work with kids, it's, it's easy for adults to be focused on something all the time, but kids really, really thrive on variety. And you see it at the practice level. If you just do the exact same warm up every day for two months, by the end of two months, they stop doing it with any intent. It's just, they're just going through the motions. If you do the exact same season forever, at a certain point, they're, they're just going through the motions. So you have to continually add that variety in and having that variety of, all right, we were playing softball. 
three, four games a day, very, very intense. It's a very individual kind of sport. A lot of moments of failure, a lot of moments of being kind of in the spotlight. And then all of a sudden, hey, now I transition to soccer and it's a little more dynamic. It's a little more team oriented. I can get some of my frustrations out. It's more contact oriented. I'm actually up against the players that I'm playing against. Same with like basketball. So you can go from a sport where you're separated from your opponent, like softball, volleyball, whatever, to a sport where you're face to face with your opponent and you get that variety and you get those different kinds of impacts from the, from each different sport. No, I think that's actually really interesting. And I've, I've thought about variety, but not in terms of like different sports, because I do notice that like, if I, you know, if I'm coaching and I do a similar warm up for, yeah, like about a month at a time, they, they do start being like, okay, we're doing this warm up again. I'm going to just, you know, 50%, you know, on the way through, which I believe in structure, but you know, as I'm kind of thinking about my own programming and I'm like, um, with that, I'm kind of curious, you know, how, like if just, if just focusing on one sport at a time, how do you create some of that variety even within a season? Because I feel like it's still, even in a two month season, if like you do the same thing every week, sometimes it can become monotonous for the kids. So the most important thing to recognize about kids is they're super efficient. That's how they get through the day. They're, they're small and they have a lot of stimuli thrown at them. So what is their solution? To be as efficient as possible in the tasks that they are given. So if you give them a warm-up that you think is a max acceleration warm-up, at a certain point, they're gonna figure out, well, how can I do this at 80% to be efficient? Mm -hmm. If you come up with a small-sided game with some kind of esoteric rules that you think is going to create a certain effect, at a certain point, they're gonna figure out, hey, how can I be efficient and cheat this game? And I'll get the points, but I'm not actually getting the effect of the game. And so from a programming side, unfortunately, the challenge is that you have to think about what you did the day before. And then what can I do differently that forces your players to think differently? Sometimes it's just a matter of, hey, if we do our lineup, our warm up in lines between cones, what if we do it at angles between poles? What if we just change the visual of it? What if instead of doing three cones going forward, we do it in a diamond in cones and now we have some different movements? Um, what if you change the order? And with all of these things, you, you just kind of have to figure out what are the outcomes you're hoping to achieve. And in some cases, the outcome you're hoping to achieve is, hey, I want my players to be able to do something self-directed, in which case, all right, you teach them the one that they can do while you're not even paying attention. And you know that maybe they're only going to do it at 75%, but there is a benefit to being able to do something self-organized and on their own. So that's that's fine. But from a, from a programming standpoint, really, you kind of want to think, all right, what's what's my goal for today and how am I going to create variety? Maybe today we're doing, we're going to do hops instead of jumps. And so we're just going to do light pogo hops and I'm going to force them to go laterally and I'm going to force them to go backwards and I'm going to do that. Then the next day we're going to actually jump on one leg and on two legs and we're going to do broad jumps and we're going to incorporate that. And just by changing up some of those little things, then ideally you force a little bit of intent. And then again, depending on the age of the players that you're working with, everything that you can turn into a relay is an improvement over anything that you are not racing in. So hand them a tennis ball and have them do 
backpedal, sprint, backpedal, and toss the ball to the next player, and then the next one goes backpedal, sprint, backpedal, toss the ball to the next player versus lines going, all right, everybody backpedal out, sprint, back. So you get a different intent by forcing them to race, forcing them to have an implement that they're reacting to, and, uh, and then you can create variety that way because there's an infinite number of things that you can have them toss to one another. You can have them toss pool rings to each other. They can toss rubber chickens. They can toss whatever, different kinds of balls. Depending on your sport, it can be a basketball. It can be a four-pound medicine ball. All of those little things that keep them engaged in the movements that you want to create because, again, I think as coaches, we generally know that what you do with 100% intent, you improve on, and what you do at 70% intent, you go through the motions on, but you're not actually moving the needle much. Right. I think that's important to have that some of that variety for the, the athletic improvement. I'm curious, like, when you have a two-month season, do you, or do you do some of your programming and plan for your variety throughout, or is it kind of a little bit more like – instinctual in terms of like, okay, we did this here. Um, uh, like, so are the, I guess to simplify the question, like what's the difference between your, your short-term planning for a season and, and long-term planning? So although I do focus on seasons an important thing is I, is I have these players all year. They're, they're never in the wind. So, right. uh, so I do have them 11 months out of the year. It's just that for some of those months, we may be only, meeting twice a month or mm. four times a month. Um, so they're never completely gone. And then in terms of how I structure it, uh, usually the game teaches you what you need to do the next week. So during those more intense season phases, the reason we practice is to get better at the game. So whatever happened on Saturday and Sunday in the games, that tells me, all right, we didn't press very well on the soccer field in this game. So on Monday, we're going to do a defending and the attacking third exercise where we're setting up our press. Meanwhile, we're teaching our defenders how to break that press and we're creating the activity that hopefully works to improve on the thing that we were lacking a little bit in that game. Or if in softball, our bunt defense wasn't what it needed to be during a softball game, okay, can we create a bunting game where they're bunting and defending and working on that specific skill in the next practice so that we can then hopefully improve upon that for the time before. So I don't have like a set model where, all right, here's the curriculum. We go through each of these things and um, instead the game kind of teaches you on the global level, like here's what we need to do to play the next game better. And then at the same time, as a coach, you always we want to be cognizant of the fact that these players may not be on your team for the following season. So what are the technical and tactical skills they must have for the next team they're on? And you have to be making sure that they're getting those. So even if, hey, we go two games where headers aren't very important, well, I do know that's maybe important for their next team. So I have to be working on that. Maybe we didn't need to do a lot of individual 1v1 skills in a particular two-week stretch, but I do know that their next coach may care whether they know these 1v1 skills, so are we integrating those? And so it's kind of that balance between what you need for from game to game and also giving them all the tools for wherever they may be going in their sport. 
Right. It's a combination of having the foresight of the, the next level that they're going to and also meeting them where they're at. I do think I had someone on the podcast that his name is Chris Oliver. He's really into the basketball decision-making world. And so he, mm-hmm. he typically runs his practices like he runs a game first and then like picks out the skills that they needed to go. And so it's kind of reverse engineering because I think right. a lot of times coaches think we have to drill it against a cone or, or however drill it, and then that'll show up in a game. But right. that is kind of like the opposite effect. Right. So that's, that's the play practice play model, which is it's particularly effective with younger kids because what you do is you, first of all, you get them engaged from the moment they arrive at the field. And like, hey, we get to the field and we're playing. So nobody's going to show up late because that's when the game is. They want to be there, gets their activity level up, they're ready to go. And then as you see them play either the small-sided or even a larger-sided version of the game, you're picking out, all right, here's what we're not doing well. And then you know, have kind of an idea of here's the exercises or other small-sided games we want to do based on those things that weren't going particularly well in the first game. Then you do that in the middle portion of your practice. And then in the final portion of your practice, you repeat that first game and see if you're doing those things better on a technical and tactical level. And that's definitely an effective way of coaching. And it's important because the ability to do any skill at speed in the right moment, making the right decisions, those, those are really critical. And, uh, I stole a, a concept from Raymond Verheijen, who's a, a Dutch coach that I tell all of my teams that every sports action begins with first communication. So you need to be talking to your teammates. You need to be reading the visual stimuli of the game. You need to be listening to the visual stimuli of the game. You're taking in information. Then you make a decision based upon all of the information that you've been given and that you've taken in. And then number three, you execute. That's when you actually perform the skill. And if there's been no communication and if there's no decision-making, then you can't execute properly. So it all goes in that process. And so the way that you can train your athletes to follow that process is, is essential. Right. The play is the opportunity to learn to, to consume that information and then make a decision because when you're just going through the motions in terms of drills, you know, a lot of times it's like you're executing, but you're not learning what to execute on. And I've become pretty keen on that in terms of like when I'm doing one-on-one trainings, when I'm working with someone one-on-one, I realize I have to be the defender that they have to start reading and making decisions on. So it's definitely been something I've been trying to learn and implement as well. I'm curious though, you know, you talked about, like a lot of the, a lot of coaches, especially varsity coaches really want players to be specialized. And I know that's something that we talked about on the pre-pod. Have you got any like pushbacks or challenge from other coaches that you're kind of feeding your players into uh, regarding your program? Uh, so definitely. Yes. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a huge challenge because like you say, there are coaches that want players at the highest level to drop everything and play for just that team, that sport all year round. And the players that I'm currently working with are in middle school. So with seventh, eighth graders, they still have options open to them. And for the ones, a lot of the ones I have who are particularly athletic, they do still have the ability to write their own ticket and 
if they roll up to the field, no one's going to say we don't want what you're selling because they are in the top 5% athletically in their age group. So they, they do have options that remain. Um, when, you know, when you're looking at higher level sports, there is a point where if somebody is kind of on the verge of being able to maybe play at the college level, but there are things that they're missing in their game, it is perfectly reasonable for a high school coach to say, look, if you want to play at the next level, you need to drop what you're doing and get on a, a weight program. You need to be lifting weights in the off season and not doing this other sport that you think is fun. Or if you want to play at the next, or, you know, you're the eighth man on my team. If you want to crack the starting lineup, you need to be able to shoot this percentage from the three point line. You need this skill, this skill, and this skill, and you need to put the time in to get that. And then the player can say, well, I'm fine being the eighth man on your team while I also play this other sport. That's that's then their decision. But it is a reality that there is a point where if you want to go to a certain level in your sport, you may need to devote other amounts of time to the specific skills or to the physical preparation or to whatever it is that's not quite getting you to the level you need to play at. Um, currently, my daughter's a high school junior. She was the varsity catcher on her softball team, and she last year was uh, on the JV soccer team, and she'll probably be on both of those teams again. And it's, it's totally possible to play multiple sports in high school, but it requires discussions with both coaches. It requires an understanding that maybe you lose a little bit of skill in one by playing another. Um, and that's just, it's kind of case by case. Right. And I, I kind of, what I'm hearing is that it's ultimately at the end of the day, it's the decision of the athlete, you know, and I think it's, it's a life skill to be able to prioritize, you know, do you want to be in the starting lineup? Do you want to maybe go to the college level or do you want to just enjoy your high school experience? You have friends on your softball and your soccer team. And you just want to play both. And that's, what's most important to you. So I'm curious, how, do you like allow com for conversations that those probably happen a little bit like, off the practice field, but how do you develop some of those, you know, like self-awareness skills for athletes? Uh, so with my players, we do all kinds of goal setting and okay. starting with, you know, what's your basic commitment level to the sport? Are you even committed enough to play at the level that we want to play? This is the expectation. Okay, good. You've got that done. All right. Now that you have that basic level of being committed or compelled within your sport, now, where do you want to go within that sport? And for the ones who begin to identify, hey, I want to play on this ECNL soccer team. All right, well, here's the route you need to take, and it's going to be off of my flex team. It's going to be in this direction towards that ECNL team. Or, hey, I want to be a college softball pitcher. Okay, well, then you can do multiple sports here at the middle school level, but there is going to come a time when you need to be pitching against the best hitters available most of the year. And so to play on that kind of, to have that experience, you'll have to go on to a larger team that travels even further and that may need to happen. And that depends really on each player's goals and depends on what you want as a coach. So for me as a coach, the reward is not in the moment. It's four years from now seeing where they are. So with the players that I coached 
six, seven years ago when they were in sixth grade, seventh, eighth grade, eighth grade. Now the reward is seeing them playing on their varsity field hockey teams, playing, playing on the varsity soccer teams, playing, going on to college. And it's not so much what you do within that individual moment. And then having those conversations with the players and it's hard for the players, but it's also with the parents and all right, realistically, what do you want from your child through their athletic career? Realistically, what are you looking for in terms of their college experience? And with where I happen to live demographically, this is not the way that most of my players <clears throat> will get into a school. Um, so it's a completely different conversation with other coaches in other areas where your sport may be your ticket to be the first person in your family to ever attend college. That's a totally different thing than coaching in Del Mar and San Diego where their parents are going to be able to pay for them to get into school as long as their grades are there. So it's not the sport that's their ticket in. And it, it, it really depends on who you're working with. So again, it's, it's a, it's about kind of the nuances that again, meeting your athlete and, and the family where they're at. And I'm, I like that you kind of bring in the process of, of the parent. And I actually had a conversation with a parent the other day that he was able to kind of explain to me, like, you know, the, the thought process around here in LA, it's, um, you know, it's like, oh, do I put my kid in public school or, you know, there's a lot of charter and private school options, mm -hmm. but some of those private and public or charter school options there don't have the same you know, athletic programs, or if they do, they're ridiculously expensive. So right. it's like, it is navigating that, you know, kind of like dynamic of like, what do you want for your kid athletically, but how do you want to set them up academically and career wise? So I, I, I'm, I can't imagine. I mean, I, I feel like as you, as a parent, you're probably going through that right now. Yeah. And it's, it's also important to be realistic with some of the parents who don't really know what it is to be a college athlete. So mm -hmm. there are a number of Parents who were college athletes, they get it. Their kids are kind of tracking in that way. Genetically, obviously, two college athletes have a child, and that kid has a, a genetic advantage, most likely, in terms of their natural athleticism. Plus, their parents understand what it's like to play at that level. There are also parents who, at a very early age, buy into, hey, wouldn't it be great if my eight-year-old was playing for UCLA or playing for whomever? And they don't necessarily know that the life of a college athlete is challenging. It's 48 weeks out of the year where what you want to do is taken away from you. You are doing lists at 6 a.m. in the morning. You know that academically there are some classes you can't take if they conflict with the practice schedule. You have a dietitian telling you what to eat. You have nutritionists. You have all of these things that not everybody wants when they're 18 to 23 years old. So it's important to be very realistic with some of the parents, but what, what is that process? Do you really think that that is what your child is going to want to do between the ages of 18 and 23? And if it's what they wanna do, awesome, it's fantastic. Being a college athlete's a wonderful thing, but it's not necessarily for every single person. That makes sense. It's, it's communicating those expectations up front. It's like, you know, for, for me at that point, like I knew I probably could have went the Juco route to play baseball, but I just like, I didn't want to put in that time to eventually become a division three athlete. And that's just like a decision I made to go to U university of Oregon, a big school mm -hmm. to like have that co different college experience. So it's inviting kind of, again, to go back to the beginning of our conversation, the, the, the athletes and the parents into the process of what it looks like down the road.
Very much so. And it, again, it's, it's a very, very long process and it's important with any process. The most important thing is sustainability and you, you need to be on a track that you can do over time because most people can do just about anything for six months, nine months, 12 months. You can drive two hours away for practice for six months, but at a certain point, that two hour drive to be on this elite team is going to grind you down. You can play games in different states where it costs you $800 every weekend. There's a certain amount of time you can do that, but you may not be able to do that for 10 years. So what's sustainable and where in the process are you age-wise, goal-wise, and so forth? 100%. Yeah, the sustainability piece is a big one. And I, I even find that again for myself in terms of like when I'm doing work, right? Like I can, I could probably try and pump out, you know, six podcast interviews a week, but that means it's not very sustainable, right? So I found mm -hmm. that like two a week is, is better for me, you know? And so it's, it's a similar thing for them. So as we kind of wrap up our conversation here, what are your final pieces of advice to, you know, the, the newer coaches and you sports parents? Uh, for the newer coaches, my main piece of advice would be to figure out the why of your athletes. And that should dictate your coaching style. I mean, you have to have your individual style. It comes from you. But do you have players who are just trying to learn the game and just want to run around and have fun? Do you have players who collectively want to be very ambitious and can you meet their ambitions and can you take them where they want to go? Do you have a team that is pretty good, but has internal issues? All right. Are you going to be the one who solves those internal issues and figures out that communication side? Um, so really it it can go from team to team and you, you need to have that adaptability to figure out, all right, what, are the needs of my team? What are the challenges that they're facing? Where is it that I can take them so that you really are leading them as opposed to, well, we practice on Mondays and Wednesdays and we play on Saturdays. I've got this routine I run them through on Mondays. I've got this routine we do on Wednesdays. I have a pretty good idea of who my better players are in my substitution rotation. And you can ro go through that over time. And, yeah, they'll, they'll get kind of better because everybody gets better at what they do but are you actually leading them in a specific place or not? So it really does all come back to that leadership piece and having that idea of, all right, where do these players and parents want to go? How do you find that out? Which is you've got to talk to them. You have to be accessible. You have to have conversations. You have to have different ways of meeting each of your parents where they are and with some of them maybe with a phone call with some of them it may be talking to them before a game with some of them it may be hey i'm, I'm available for coffee on wednesday if you want to like let me know how things are going and having different avenues where you can reach each of the parents who are involved because it tends to be a lot of time and a lot of money and you don't necessarily want to be just kind of reading the tea leaves and like i think they're thinking this but i don't really know uh, so if you open the door for people to let you know what they're thinking, then they're much easier to motivate and much easier to lead and you can take them where you're hoping to go. 
hundred percent. Yeah. It's that, it's that leadership piece and being intentional and you can't be intentional with what you are going to do and program if you don't know why they are there. And so I really appreciate kind of the, the nuance to that, but just about listening to the athlete and, and making sure it's about them and not about the coach and our own ego that gets into the, the way of a lot of seasons and a lot of programs. And so where can people find and connect with you? And are there any other resources you'd like to share with uh, the listeners? Uh, you can find me. Uh, my my primary job is um, managing editor, and I work in marketing at a website called Simply Faster. And we run a blog where we uh, focus on best practices in coaching, coaching education, training education. So um, easy to locate at uh, simplyfaster.com. You can find me on Twitter at Coaches Vision, which is also a uh, consulting marketing consulting firm that I that I run um, and I am also available on the Del Mar Carmel Valley Sharks website you can find me on their coaches page there well I appreciate your time today Nate and I really I, I learned a lot in terms of like the why and the intentionality and kind of like I had some of these ideas in my head but you were able to articulate them and I have them on paper now so I appreciate your time of course thanks for having me I appreciate it Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bridging Impact Podcast. We'd love it if you would like, subscribe, leave a comment, and a review on whatever platform you're on. It's the best way to help us grow. We appreciate you for doing that. We'll shout you out on social media. I'd also love if you connected with me on social media. Let me know your thoughts, and this is why I do it. I want to share knowledge and wisdom from experienced leaders to people like yourself and myself so we can have this dialogue and move forward make an impact on the world so stay tuned stay subscribed cheers